Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. back to the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Friday, August the 23rd, and the Baltimore Ravens, uh, their preseason win streak record is in a state of limbo at the moment. Do you want to explain why my co-host Spencer Schultz? To put it very eloquently with tons of intellectual, profound quality, thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening, yeah, I don't know how long you were waiting on that, but that was perfect. I couldn't have uh, planned that any better myself. But uh, my name is Jake Luke. I'm one of your hosts. The Freddie Mercury-esque serenading you just heard came from Spencer Schultz. He's a writer with BaltimoreBeatdown.com, as am I. And we are here in studio um, late Thursday night for some reason when we both have work tomorrow to talk about a preseason football game. How you doing, bud? I am doing great. I'm going to go ahead and count this as a Baltimore Ravens 16th consecutive preseason victory. If anyone, I don't know who it would be, makes the Ravens and the Eagles and the referees and the fans go back out in those conditions for a preseason football game, you're a jerk. You're just a mean person. Call it. Keep the streak alive. You can put an asterisk next to it if you want, but let's just let the boys go home injury-free and not let any hamstrings or uh, muscular injuries occur as a result of having to go inside and then come back out and play in slick conditions. If you want to go up to Park Avenue in New York and explain to Roger Goodell why he didn't get the revenue from beer sales in the fourth quarter of that preseason game, then you can do that, my friend. But, you know, that's a pretty big ticket for the NFL. So just throwing that out there. The only compare, like, I'm not sure, but for instance, if you're at a spring training game and there's thunder, like MLB wise, do they call it? Why, why play an exhibition anymore? 
Yeah, I don't know. It's obviously a big time conversation over the last several years of like getting rid of the preseason, and I kind of go back and forth on it. Um, but I think we can definitely all agree that they don't need to be out there when there is literally severe thunderstorms swirling around the greater Philly area. And here, too, um, getting into it a little bit, I couldn't even watch like most of the first couple quarters of the game because a severe T-storm hit Reisterstown and wiped out my cable. So that was fun. Yeah, it's unfortunate. A little rainy day in the beginning of hurricane season. And I thought hurricane season was over. But, uh, yeah, so hopefully they call it. Anyway, getting down to brass tacks, looking like I'm walking away with a cool $25, put a little wager down on the Ravens plus three and a half earlier this week. So I'm going to go ahead and lock that up. Anyway, let's talk about who else? Our boy, Trace, quote, I seriously am Johnny Unitas, McSorley, throwing dimes, Jake. I know that your cable went out, but you saw all the damage, all the nickels, all the quarters, all that stuff. He was great tonight. I saw, okay, so I was following a little bit in the Slack chat, and it sounded like he was not doing too well when I wasn't able to watch, and then maybe like some sort of uh, symbiotic connection that he and I have. When I tuned in, he started throwing it all over the map. I mean, he's getting them into range. He's had that scramble for a touchdown where he barrels through two defenders like he's John Elway doing the helicopter. Then he, you know, he's marching them down again. He has a nice strike, a very, a very good throw, not even joking, to Michael Floyd down the left side. Uh, where he hauled it in, did a little tiptoe to get into the corner of the end zone, and then uh, his other touchdown was a strike to Julio Scott, basically in the same spot, but kind of in the end zone this time to give him his second touchdown toss. But, uh, yeah, he he played lights out tonight. He started out a little shaky, a little frantic, kind of, let's go, let's get in the rhythm. There's one play, there was an instance, I believe, at the end of the first quarter, or maybe the middle, where um, the Ravens were backed up to their own goal line, and... He was trying to communicate pre-snap with Chris Moore, and Chris Moore was like looking at him like, dude, what what are you trying to tell me? What are you saying? Like getting kind of frustrated. Then it happened again with Chris Moore a couple plays later, and I was like, uh-oh. You know, he was playing kind of deer in headlights for a bit, and all of a sudden turned it on, smoothed out, game slowed down. The first big play was a rollout where Justice Hill did a fantastic job of selling the play fake and then – kind of sweeping the leg of the defensive end as if he was a ball carrier, plunging forward, knocking him out. McSorley rolls right, uh, right around the numbers, maybe a little bit between the numbers and the hashes, throws across the field to a wide-open Miles Boykin who catches it, freaking boom, 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 rumbles through somebody and ends up trucking like 40 yards for a 40-yard gain. That really started him, and you touched on some of those other throws. He looked outstanding tonight. Yeah, he's the story of the night, and uh, I guess we can not – delay it any further what are we thinking about his chances of making the team because i've been saying 53 all along and i'm 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 definitely sticking with it okay i'm i'm joining your side fully i've been saying practice squad put him on the 53 he's progressed rapidly how many quarterbacks at this point struggle you know how much was said about lamar last year he has looked better and better and better and rg3's injury we talked about the silver lining was trace getting more action and man, he has rolled with it. Absolutely killed it tonight. Looked better in practice. Um, I think that he is a strong candidate. And I think just because of the offense that they're running and McSorley's acumen to that, you can't let him go. You don't want him to go. Even though you have RG3, you need to keep McSorley around. So I'm going Trace for 53, the, tr- the case for Trace. Yeah, it's all the progress that he made, plus it's the wild card factor that he may or may not bring. I don't know how much we really saw of him doing 
you know, the special team stuff and, you know, other, you know, defense gimmicks, whatever he was doing when the bullets actually were flying for real. But he was doing it in practice a little bit. So that's something to account for the versatility, plus all the progress that he made and plus RG3's injury. Yeah, I think he's making it. Let's talk a little bit about wide receiver because that's another hot button topic. And uh, definitely. Yeah, I don't know. It definitely had some new wrinkles added to it tonight with Hollywood Brown making his debut. He looked pretty good. And then, obviously, I mentioned Floyd and Julio Scott. They're going to be battling for a roster spot, and they both made a pretty decent case tonight. I just figured it out. I just figured out what's going to happen. Seth Roberts hasn't practiced in about two weeks. He's going to start the season on some sort of disabled, injured reserve, something or the other, special candidate. I think they're going to keep six receivers. That is going to be... Hollywood, who we'll get to in a bit, played his first game tonight, looked pretty good. Willie Sneed, obviously. Miles Boykin. Chris Moore is a lock. Then I think the last two, I think they're going to keep Michael Floyd and Jaleel Scott. I don't think you want to turn the way that Michael Floyd has played, carried himself, been willing to play on special teams, bought into that John Harbaugh, you know, next man up, every snap matters, rah, rah, blah, blah. You don't want to cut him. I think that just sends the wrong message. I don't know. I want to keep Michael Floyd. I think Seth Roberts might start on some sort of injured list of some. He hasn't practiced in weeks, man. So I think that's a scenario, if I had to guess. Yeah, and Voss and I were talking about this a little bit in the uh, group chat that we have, that you need a good mix of veterans and rookies, especially at an important skill position like that. And Floyd, I, I was saying that he's a guy who was very good, you know, not even that long ago, a couple of years ago. So he could be seen as a little bit of a mentor for some of these guys like Boykin, another Notre Dame guy who's a rookie this year. Hollywood, obviously another rookie guys that they're trying to develop. He could maybe teach them a thing or two. So he might be a valuable uh, six guy to have a little bit of a locker room guy, if you will, there um, in the receiving room. Right. And again, I just think it sends the wrong message to cut a guy like that who fell from the brink of stardom basically as a thousand yard receiver, had some personal issues and has gotten back on track and worked his tail off. He deserves a spot on this team. I think that Harbaugh should and will keep him as well as Jaleel Scott, who has done nothing short of impressed me this entire offseason. Yeah, definitely. He has looked pretty good. Um, speaking of things that have not looked pretty good, the offensive line in this preseason, uh, it's been a little up and down, a little shaky guys have been injured here and there. And you also get the sense that they probably don't want them going a hundred percent because you don't need an injury there, but yeah, it hasn't looked good with all those qualifiers out of the way. So what did you kind of see from it tonight? Tonight early, it was two steps in a cloud of dust, kind of nothing major going on so to start out i believe the lineup was left guard being manned by bradley bozeman Spurra at center right guard was powers orlando brown jr actually played i believe into the second half perhaps yeah he was because i remember he had that holding on mcsorley's uh what was it two-point conversion or whatever that was in the second quarter actually i think because they scored 23 points in the second quarter gotcha um so played a half, which I thought was a little surprising, but I guess shows that you know they want him out there. So anyway, I uh, can't remember who was starting the left guard or left tackle, excuse me. I guess Hurst. Yeah, it must have been Hurst at left tackle. Uh, Bozeman looked no bueno, not so hot. Luminor was out. Luminor's been having a strong camp. Um, Bozeman looked sluggish. He just gets off, like off balance in his pass protection. If someone comes in hot 
kind of makes him have to kick and step to cover ground to get to them. He is leaning like off balance and it's so easy to cross his face and give him a chop or a rip and just shoot right at the quarterback. And so he got his chance, I guess they were just trying to divvy things around and see. Then Pat McCarry came in who everybody knows as Vod said earlier, I'm the driver on the Pat McCarry 53 man roster bus to, to, um, he came in as second team center behind Skura. Skura looked okay. Then once that second team unit came in, things started to pick up a little bit, I guess, as the Eagles kind of moseyed out some of their starters. But the Eagles have a lot of depth defensively, just like the Ravens do. Their defensive line is kind of like the Ravens secondary. They've got, you know, six or seven names back there and guys they're going to have to cut that are going to get poached. So they started to pick things up. Um, Powers, I like what I see. I think he's not getting talked about enough. He's climbing the second level. He's looking good in pass pro. And at this point, I know we didn't have a full game, but Makari has now gone three preseason games, really, I guess two and three quarters, a little bit over preseason games without letting up one pressure. So having him able to play center and left or right guard looks good. I'm happy with Illuminor. I think that once Yonda comes back and Stanley's in there, they have a really solid group and God forbid, let's say Stanley goes down. You can kick Orlando Brown to left tackle if need be. I don't think James Hurst is the worst right tackle. I don't like him as much at the guard position. Um, Skur has improved. So the line's not going to be a top five unit in the NFL by any measure, but I don't think they're going to be at the bottom half. I think they will be like a top 15 unit and Greg Roman makes it really easy on these guys to play within the scheme and be strong. So I'm sure there'll be a couple games and they play the dominant defensive fronts that they get kind of tossed around and make things difficult for the offense, but I'm not too worried about it, to be honest. Yeah. So if you had to kind of make a prediction, we'll obviously do more of this in depth uh, going forward, but left to right, who's going to be your starting offensive line for uh, opening day here? If it's me and I'm making the decision based on what I've seen, I'm going to go Stanley Obviously, then it's a tough call at left guard between Illuminor and um, Macari. I think that Illuminor is a little bit better as a pulling guard, as a power run defender, but Macari's developing. I think Macari's a little better in pass pro. So one of those two, then Skura, Yonda, and OBJ. So it's really just that left guard spot between uh, Macari and Illuminor in my eyes. And I'm, I'm not terribly dissatisfied with either guy, so I think that there's been a lot of progress. And Illuminor has shown me that he's capable of getting in there and moving around and having his head in the game a little bit. And, you know, if that's the weak spot out of 11 guys, that's the only one that's really glaring. I know we don't have all worldwide receivers, but they could end up being that way as they develop. You're going to have a weak point somewhere in your, on each side of the ball. So if it's that and it's left guard and those two guys kind of develop as a season and they get more experience, I'm not mad at all. Yeah, definitely. Before we switch over to defense, I did want to quickly get your thoughts on Justice Hill because he had a ton of uh, involvement tonight. What'd you see? Ooh, he looked sharp. So, and just quickly, like kind of talking about the Lance Turners, pretty similar to Alex Collins, not only in the dreadlocks, but as far as kind of freestyling away from the play because they. I like the dreadlocks comparison there, but yeah, continue. That yeah, but they have a similar play style. So let's say you know you're running a 24 counter to the left. And there's a little bit of a traffic jam over there. You're supposed to follow kind of the outside hip of the left guard and the pulling right guard. And there's a traffic jam. So Lance Turner and Alex Collins, they want to panic and break away from the design of the play. 
because they have that elusiveness and that vision. Justice Hill is a coach's dream because he has better elusiveness than either of those guys probably, but he will stay with the play still. He might kind of veer out a little bit and try and open something up, but he's not going to get out of position to follow the play design, which is what gets shoved from day one in peewee football down running back's throats. Trust me, these are my play designs. Follow your blockers. So Hill is slippery as can be and follows his blockers until the daylight appears and the play opens up. So that's number one. Number two, he is impressive at fighting for yards after contact and kind of powering through. He gets really low and he kind of attacks the defender. It seems like he tries to see where they might be off balance and vulnerable and kind of attacks them with his shoulder pads and a little bit of a stiff arm. And he had, I mean, an electric run where I believe it was an inside zone. Might've been a trap, but I believe it was an inside zone. And he spun right out of a tackle. People can't get him that easily. You know, you're kind of lucky if you catch him from behind and slap his feet out. But he is slippery, man. And I see him. I, I think it would be a huge mistake not to give him 100-plus touches this year after seeing what I've seen uh, so far this training camp and preseason. I did kind of want to touch on that a little bit because – Sometimes, you know, you'll have coaches that want to keep these young running backs on the shelf for a while for either their confidence or they want to kind of have them be a secret weapon down the stretch for a team. But in the case of a guy looking this good in the preseason with a steep, uh, deep stable of running backs, excuse me, what do you, you know, like how early do you see him getting inserted into the mix? Are they going to wait at all or is it just going to be week one? Let's have this guy be one of our uh, aces up our sleeve here. It's a tough call uh, to predict. I think that because the Ravens are so multiple and want to throw you off, there's a benefit to playing. Let's say, you know, there's a formation that the Ravens like to run called a full house, which is where you might have a wide receiver split outside on the boundary on either side. And then there's going to be kind of two fullbacks, one on the right, one on the left, and then a running back behind the quarterback. So there's going to be three guys in the backfield. And let's say, there's combinations of these guys that will practically be in a formation like this. Mark Ingram, Gus Edwards, Justice Hill, Hayden Hurst, Mark Andrews, Nick Boyle, Pat Ricard. They can motion out. You can change the formation. Then based on the personnel, you can do different things. Let's say that you have um, to the right of Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, and he crosses Lamar Jackson's face on a read option. Then Pat Ricard to the left comes and crosses as a blocker, then all of a sudden it's a triple option with Justice Hill, Lamar Jackson, and Mark Ingram. And Pat Ricard is leading the way. That kind of stuff is going to mean trouble for defenses, and it's going to make it's going to hit Miami in the nose and break their nose, and tears are going to be running out of their eyes. They're not going to know what hit them, what to do. They're a young team that's inexperienced. The Cardinals aren't going to be able to pick up on enough from the tape of week one to shut it down. Then all of a sudden the Ravens are five, six weeks into the season before teams are able to get a beat on what personnel is indicating play-wise. So that is the absolute beautiful mind of Greg Roman and the gloriousness of the personnel and the moving pieces within the Ravens offense right now. You should have uh, done that in a Stephen A. Smith voice. That is the beautiful mind of Greg Roman and the gloriousness of this offensive line. Get it downfield. Uh, yeah, but continue. Blasphemous. Stay off the weed. But the original question was Justice Hill involved early. I don't think you can ignore what he's been doing. It's only going to hinder you unless they just 
Mark Ingram goes in as a starter and just runs for 150 yards week one and week two, and no one can stop him. I mean, yeah, I mean, like everyone has tape on everything, so everyone in the league is going to know that this guy looked good in the preseason. So I don't know how much you're really hiding anyway, but I guess I transitioned us over to the other side of the ball. So defense. I guess we'll start up front with the pass rush. What were you kind of seeing tonight? Hasn't been a ton popping off in the preseason for this unit, I would say. Did you see anything that maybe would indicate otherwise? Number one, I tweeted this. Marlon Humphrey is the most physical and aggressive corner coming downhill on outside run designs that I've seen in recent memory. I mean, there's a couple of names I can name, whatever. But he was doing it at Bama. I remember I was scouting him, uh, scouting the cornerbacks, because the Ravens were strongly indicating they needed some help in the secondary before drafting him. And that was a pro. That's just a natural part of his game. He has a thick build and is aggressive. He plays the ball aggressively. He plays coverage aggressively. And so his ability to come up and pop somebody is, whew, it gets me, I mean, goosebumps. It gets me fired up. That's the kind of football. That is how you want your cornerbacks to play. So that really jumped off the screen at me. Another heavy hitter coming out of the secondary tonight was Deshaun Elliott, who is a thumper man. And he did that at Texas as well. So this is nothing new. He's going to be an enforcer. And that leads into the third one, who I was talking about this in the Slack chat. I'm not shocked if John Harbaugh has been sitting Kenny Young and putting him with the twos and making him wait to get on the field as some sort of mental warfare tactic or something. How can you not put him on the field? He is lightning in a pan and knocks dudes out. He deserves a start. <laughs> like just watching you like talk about some of these guys, like just the way they're changing your voice inflection and like some of the gyrations. I'm like reminded of Ari Gold talking to Gary Busey's like you're going to spin off this planet, my man. Like that's what I'm thinking of. <laughs> I, I love may it. Or may not be a young Gary Busey. <laughs> Uh, you got the headband on and everything right now, so it's looking pretty good. But, uh, yeah, I love all that. You liked what you saw from the secondary, it sounds like. Um, looks like you're really getting into the natty spike seltzer there, too. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, at some point. Oh, this is just a natter day, brother. Oh, it's a natter day. Lemonade beer. Yes, sir. So you haven't tried the spike seltzers yet? I have not tried any of the spike seltzers. Shout out White Claw. Insert. I was going to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay loyal to them. I don't know about all these other, like the Four Loco and all that. Let's calm down, guys. I'm good. They're copycats. I'm good. White claws for me. Claws up. Um, but yeah, so you talked a little bit about the secondary. What did you see from like the front seven that impressed you? I know Kenny Young was getting a little bit of run there with Chris Board being out. And then uh, obviously you got the open battle there at uh, outside linebacker and pass rush. Tyus Bowser was re- he's really disciplined. He has great closing speed, great acceleration. You can kind of get into him at the point of attack if you're an athletic and large tackle or something, and that is what it is. Luckily, the Ravens have some monsters with whoever on the defensive line that can come and help him. But Bowser is really calm. He, if there's a play action where there's you know kind of a read option situation or some sort of fake screen, he waits and reads his keys and then comes in like a freaking madman. He's not like a big shoulder throwing heavy hitter he's more of a grab and slam kind of tackler um but he's disciplined like a cobra and then strikes so i think he's going to have a good year as a matchup player that can kind of surprise the offensive line dropping into coverage or attacking or coming on a delayed blitz or stunting 
And then conversely, his partner on the other side, uh, Tim Williams, same draft class, back-to-back picks, yeah? Second and then third round, yeah, I believe so. In 17, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, Tim Williams has been the highest-rated defensive player by PFF over the first two games combined. He had a 90.0 overall score over his, uh, I think it was like 46 snaps in the two games. And he's just a disruptor. And it's the same thing. They're both a little bit undersized. So if you run right at them, you might be able to get a little bit more success than running to Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce. And, of course, Judon's going to be in there a ton, too. So these guys might be rotating on the weak side. But Ty's, or excuse me, uh, Tim Williams is just disruptive, man. He is so quick off the line. And his one problem is he, if he tries to bull rush kind of and hold the edge at, uh, as a point, attack, point of attack defender, he puts his head down and his eyes are on the floor a little bit. And when that happens, nothing good ever happens as it, at any position and really any sport. If your eyes are on the floor, you're going to be left wanting more. There's not a whole lot of good things to have. And that's one small thing I'm going to critique on him. Other than that, he's too quick. He's violent and his hands are great. And he's running the arc, which is co- forcing quarterbacks to step up into a collapsing pocket. So that was really impressive. Uh, out of those two guys tonight, I didn't think. I don't think Matt Judon played a ton tonight. For some reason, he was on punt coverage and punt return, but I don't know why. If uh, you're, but those are some of the things I saw from. If your eyes are on the floor, you're going to wind up wanting more. That is a good uh, lesson, not only for football but for life. But obviously, Judon kind of being the one guy that you could maybe pencil in for around eight sacks, maybe more. If n- these other guys that you're mentioning, obviously there's some potential, but if none of them really hit in the way that you're talking about, like what is the outlook for this defense? Because obviously it's a great secondary. You like what you have up the middle, maybe don't love it. Um, like what what are you kind of thinking in terms of this unit if it's really only Judon and uh, a lot of smoke and mirrors behind him? Similarly to the offensive side of the ball, um, Wink is aware that Brandon Williams is not a great pass rusher that Michael Pierce kind of gets winded and on those first two downs because and it, I'm not saying Michael Pierce is out of shape. I'm the exact opposite. I've said that many times. Michael you've been why you've been watching this guy's Instagram and championing for him ever since the whole uh yes. thing occurred. But if you watch him on first and second down, that is a three hundred and forty plus pound man that is flying around with so much effort. If it's if it's an obvious passing situation, take Brandon Williams out. Take um, Michael Pierce out. And Chris Wormley, not his best night tonight. He pulled it together at the end, had a nice quarterback hit. Um, number 51 is name, Aboye, kind of had that called back. But uh, Wormley can just be so hit or miss energy-wise in the pass rush, kind of on a Sunday-to-Sunday basis, up and down. So that means that I want to see on, let's say, third and seven and longer, third and six and longer, Judon, Tim Williams, Bowser, Ferguson, Willie Henry, the combinations of those guys, number one. And, of course, you're going to sometimes want to have a run stuffer in there just in case they want to run the ball, yada, yada, on third and seven and surprise you. But let those guys create pressure. They are the ones who are the pass rushers. Stop trying to make Brandon Williams into something that he is not. And I kind of got into it on Twitter. People have things to say about Brandon Williams' uh contract the four games in 2017 that brandon williams missed the ravens lost three of four the only win they had was against ej manuel and the oakland raiders and there was a hundred yard rusher and well over 100 yards rushing allowed in each of those games so 
he got paid because he is an incredible run stuffer. And that allows Peanut and Kenny Young and these other guys to go make plays, which leads to the next point. That is, Wink is going to blitz. So when we're playing the Patriots, the Ravens are playing the Patriots, Tom Brady, he can kind of handle the blitz. That's been well documented. If you blitz Tom Brady, you're done. You've got to get pressure with four. So if that's a, that's a possible lose-lose scenario. There might be a couple of them. You know, Steelers have a good defensive line. But Wink is going to blitz. He's going to throw exotic looks at you. He's going to give you strange personnel. And that they hit Patrick Mahomes 18 times last year. And Patrick Mahomes pulled a horseshoe out of his rear end to win that game, as we all know. And um, he said, you know, they threw things at me that I've never seen in my entire life football-wise. And that was year one. Fast forward to year two, with Earl Thomas in there and a lot of the same guys at the same time, with some new faces, some more speed added with Elliott and Jefferson able to come down in the box, more confidence behind Peanut. There's going to be blitzing. There's going to be stunts. There's going to be a lot. They will generate pressure. It's not a concern if you don't have that 15-sack or 12-sack guy that Judon could be, but not that big of a deal. Circling back to a little point you made there, I'm always really amused by like when you get into the playoffs and CBS or whoever has their like keys to beating the Patriots and it's like you got to sack Tom Brady 10 times. You got to get four turnovers like, you know, it's this is just the key to the game. You got to turn the ball over four times. Impossible. Yeah, exactly. You got to do these things that are pretty much impossible to do and then you'll beat them. It's pretty much on point, though. Um, But yeah, I guess we've gone through all the position groups there. Um, So I guess I did want to get one quick thought out of you. If you had to make like a dark horse pick to make the roster at this point, who would it be? There's been a couple, uh, a couple of dark horse guys step up. Dark horse would mean someone that we haven't talked about as much. So I guess with the theme that we said earlier, I'm going to say, actually, no, I do have one that we have not discussed that was getting time with the twos and has looked good. And that's Brendan Trowick. I'm not shocked if Justin Bethel gets cut because he's not a great actual DB and Brendan Trawick makes the team as kind of a special teams ace um, dime backer that has a little bit of versatility to him. He's a little bigger and has a little bit more defensive IQ than Bethel does, even though they play a little bit different. It's kind of like, you know, Bethel's kind of a Maurice Kennedy Tavon Young, slot corner type, more so. And then Trawick is kind of the Anthony Levine dime backer, Tony Jefferson, strong safety-ish in the box type. Um, so I think we would rather have, the Ravens would rather have Trawick and they'll roll him out and over Bethel because that would also recoup a fifth round pick. And that's a benefit. Yeah, you know what? That is pretty dark horse. I don't know what I was expecting when I asked you that, but that was not it. Um, but yeah, I think we've covered pretty much everything we need to for this game, other than the fact that we do now have it coming across the wire. Uh, it's official that the Ravens have defeated the Eagles after the game was called due to Boom. lightning. So my question to you is, are John Harbaugh's preseason Ravens the greatest dynasty in the history of sports? In the history of exhibition sports, yes. Exhibition sports. Okay, fine. John well, I, I don't know about that. I had a pretty kick-ass uh, softball league in college, but we don't have to get into that. Um, but, yeah, good game overall. Great to uh, see our boy. I to touch on one thing. Okay. Hollywood was out there, man. He was. I guess we didn't really talk about that too much, did we? No, and he impressed me with his hands and the versatility that separates him from John Brown, and that is running an out route, 
and getting separation on it and making a really nice sideline catch on a Trace McSorley pass. That is um, running a nine back to seven curl route and then falling down so he doesn't take an unnecessary hit as a tiny guy. So he was showing that he is an all in this very, very, very small sample size that is an overreaction and instant and whatever else you want to call it. He showed why he is a first round pick, second round pick prospect, as opposed to, you know, let's say a manual hall that was out of Missouri is a straight line burner. Hollywood came in and took a jet sweep and Brandon Graham kind of blew it up. Hollywood almost broke out of that tackle secretly from a really high caliber defensive end, but came in, took the jet sweep, ran a curl route, ran an out route. Wasn't, you know, he had the uh, two point conversion as well, where he's finding a soft spot in the end zone, making himself sneaky and open. So really great, really promising to see him doing that already. And you and I had said that several times that we were not worried about his injury situation. And he justified that tonight as long as he's able to stay healthy. So awesome, awesome, awesome stuff out of the Ravens tonight, again, in the preseason. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, for going back to him, I mean, yeah, the TV was cutting out for a good amount of his time on the field, but what I did see I liked, I mainly got to see him on that two-point conversion, which, yeah, obviously it got called back, but it was a nice job of him finding the soft spot in the zone. And you have made the point that he does need to be better than John Brown or it's a busted pick, but I was kind of always on the train where it's like, if you don't see how this guy is, you know, has potential to be way better than John Brown, then I don't know what you're looking at because he is so good, I think, sideline to sideline or, you know, moving laterally uh, in a way that John Brown is not. And I think he did show that a little bit tonight. So uh, very exciting to see for sure. Absolutely. And... Ravens are deep, man. That's why they're winning these games, and they're well-coached, and there's no divas. So Brian Baldinger was touching on it on his podcast, which I would highly, 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 highly recommend listening to as an around-the-NFL broader picture. It is called Prevent Defense. You can find it in the same places you can find our podcast. But he was touching on it, and it's the same sentiment that might make us sound like homers, but... Before you go put money down on the Cleveland Browns, the division title, I think, is going to have to come through Baltimore. You're going to have to come into Baltimore and beat the Ravens, and the Ravens are confidently a 10-6, and 11-5 team because the, the skill set that it's going to take to beat them, you're going to have to be really strong up front with your offensive line. You're going to have to be able to run the ball effectively past Judon, Williams, Pierce, Henry, Owasso, Tony Jefferson, Humphrey, those A1 grade A run suffers. Their secondary is outstanding. And everyone wants to talk about the passing game and Jackson's going to have to throw, Jackson's going to have to throw. You know how I feel about that. Jackson will be able to throw. So you're going to have to do a lot of things right to be able to beat the Ravens this year. Harbaugh, Roman, Cully, Wink, uh, Horton, have coached their tails off. DaCosta has assembled a roster that I'm feeling rock solid about, and I'm looking forward to week one. I think they're going to roll. Yeah, I mean, the only devil's advocate I would mention would be you're hoping the pass rush and the O-line come together and you hope that Jackson takes that next step. But uh, I think if even two of those three things happen, then you are looking at a pretty pretty solid team here. And, uh, yeah, this was probably their fir- their last real big outing uh, before the regular season, that fourth preseason game is usually kind of a wash. Um, they kind of like to use that as a little bit of a bye week for the veterans and the guys who are going to be making the team. I did want to throw this out there real quick. Is Tracy Knight is going to play next week? 
Yeah, he has to. Yeah, I guess you're right. I was just thinking, like, yeah, if he didn't, like, if there were more quarterbacks in the scenario or whatever, I think if he didn't play, that would be a sign that he's going to make it. But, uh, yeah, I guess you are right with the number crunch and RG being out. I think it's a sign that he's going to make it is that he didn't finish tonight and Joe Callahan came in. I think they were like, all right, Trace, you, you know, you proved it. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, but yeah, I mean that fourth game, I'm I don't know how much of it I'm gonna watch. I typically don't get to catch a ton of it. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I guess we'll be recapping it. Do you think that sounds good? I will be going to the Redskins Ravens game, so we might be I, I might be hitting the town after, so we might be a day late on that one. But on, on a Thursday, club going up on a Tuesday and a Thursday. Oh wow! Look um, at you. Yeah, but I will probably be going out and about in D.C. after that. A bunch of buddies and stuff are going there. But we will be recapping it maybe a day late. Maybe I'll just do it after. We'll see. But um, I know, Jake, that we had discussed we really wanted to do a reaction slash prediction for the 53-man roster. And we wanted to preview the Dolphins. We're going to be bringing you guys content. We have been ramping it up, and we're going to continue to do so. We're trying to give you guys the best, the most unbiased, the most objective Ravens coverage every day, all day, all week, all year. So hang with us. We will uh, keep you entertained and keep you informed. Yeah, definitely. We've got uh, some of that video content coming to our YouTube page, uh, just Baltimore Beatdown. Spencer's been doing a great job putting that stuff together and throwing it up on there. Shout out to you for that, buddy. Um, But yeah, I guess before we get out of here, let's plug ourselves a little bit. You can find me on Twitter at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can find Spencer at Ravens for Dummies. Number four. Uh, and you can find the podcast Twitter account at Podcast Beatdown, and also visit BaltimoreBeatdown.com for some great writing on the team uh, from some very great people that we enjoy working with. But uh, for now, uh, thanks for tuning in, guys, and I hope you all appreciated watching Tracy Unitas in all his glory ripping the Eagles a new one uh, in his coming out party tonight. The silver arm, baby. Trace McSorley, go out to the bar, wake up at the sorority. Oh, yeah, and uh, we'll have a little surprise for you in that vein as we get out of here but uh yeah until then we'll see you guys later peace peace you see oh i ain't no big sack man i don't like sacks man mm-hmm. see sacks take me out of my game i like running folks down i like interceptions and touchdowns you in the gutter you yeah i like you in the gun i like that pump you he like the trick work. That boy like to get down. Like down and dirty. I like busting up screen. Yeah. <laughs> I just like hitting quarterbacks. Yeah. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. My, that's my plan. That's a, that's a nice. I grab a quarterback. <laughs> and I bang, bang, bang all day. <laughs>